Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and joining me today are... Devendra Hardawar. And Jeff Kanata. Today on the podcast, we're going to just discuss what's going on in the world of film right now before moving on to some what we've been watching. Got a lot of what we've been watching to discuss today. And then we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we're going to be discussing Boys State, the new documentary that is on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, we got Roxana Haddadi joining us for that review. Really excited about that. And uh, I should just say, if you haven't seen Boy State, if you haven't heard of Boy State, the movie, check it out. It is really, really compelling, as you're going to hear us talk about. So, uh, yeah, if, if you have, uh, if you bought an Apple product any time in the last year, I think, right? Like uh, any Apple hardware product, you can mm-hmm. get you can get Apple TV Plus for free. So yeah. uh, we're still in that window. Um, so check out Boy State. Uh, it's available right now on Apple TV Plus. Okay. Before we get to what we've been watching, a quick word about what's been going on the last week, uh, just from a movie perspective. Uh, Tenet. Gents, the first reviews for Tenet hit the internet. I couldn't tell. And uh, so so a couple of things have happened, and I'm probably going to make like a YouTube video discussing this in depth, but I mean, I think that like I had some thoughts I wanted to share them with you guys and see what you think, that um, Tenet, uh is a movie that we we are obviously all looking forward to quite a bit um and i actually found that there is a cinemark near me that is hosting private parties where you can pay them 150 bucks to book out an entire theater uh <laughs> to to watch tenet or or any of a number of other films right and i i'm actually i actually considered doing this um for a little bit sure um but it's it's still not no risk because i think like a lot of people think that coronavirus is transmitted through aerosol droplets and uh even if i wear a mask the whole time like what what, what about the people who are just there in the room before me you know i know they sterilize everything but are the like the i don't think they're changing out all the hvac in the place or anything so it's not no risk um even if i book the entire theater out for myself uh, and then I saw the reviews, which were, I felt, mixed. <laughs> I mean, I think that it technically has a positive Rotten Tomato score, right? Um, but uh, a lot of the high-profile reviews at places like IndieWire and The Guardian and um, Time Out um, weren't super positive on it. And even some of the stuff that's been rated fresh on Rotten Tomatoes still feels like a little bit iffy to me. Um, so it really just makes me feel like this might not be the best cinematic experience of all time. And if so, it doesn't feel worth risking my life for. Probably that's kind, not. Of, that's yeah. kind of where I'm netting on it. Uh, but yeah, what, what what do you guys think? I mean, you know, what you Rotten guys have been- Tomatoes score is necessary for a... $150 theater rental. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I'm not going to go to another theater uh, probably for another 12 months at least. You know what I'm saying? So, like, this would be my entire movie-going budget in, in this one screening, right, mm-hmm. um, for the next few months. Um, but, yeah, when you, you guys had already kind of settled on just not seeing this at all, pretty much, right? And you, I have you literally kind of no way to now. see it. You know, there's no the way option. to see because it it's not even there's not even a theater. Like, and by the way, I should point out the theater that I described is a 40 mile drive away from Seattle. So like, I would need to, and and then it's like you add up the whole thing, right? 
um driving I, I need to take like half a day off of work at least <laughs> drive you know an hour an hour and a half down to that place wear like a hazmat suit inside the thing watch a two and a half hour long movie that maybe isn't that good and then i'm stressed out the entire time that i might get coronavirus and then drive like 90 minutes back it's just like mm, that is tough that is a tough sell uh but jeff you're saying you can't even see it so the, the question is solved for you anyway right i have friends that were driving to vegas to see it uh yeah. but you know just how, just how far away from from la oh far <laughs> it's uh I don't know, several hour drive, I think three, three and a half, something like that. I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not tenable with a family with children and I need to be home for dinner. Uh, so yeah, there's no, there's no universe where I even get to make that decision. So how about you, Devendra? Was it in your consideration set at all? Honestly, I haven't, I actually haven't checked to see which local theaters have it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's playing here somewhere, but given the state of things in Georgia right now, which is, Everything is kind of screwed and no one's really doing anything about it. Uh, I, w- I would not be planning to do this anytime soon. I will say maybe if I, if I do find like a really late, late, late night screening where practically nobody's there, I would maybe consider it. But no, not not at this point. I would give it a couple of months. Maybe consider a drive in because I actually have a car now. So I would do that trip. And uh, I haven't know, been to, I haven't been to drive ins in this millennia yeah they're everywhere now i know but everywhere yeah the drive-ins that i did go to when i was a kid i think i saw star trek 2 in at the (laughs) drive-in um with my parents uh i remember the audio being atrocious they're not good Uh, i yeah it's better now i i saw a drive-in recently i made a vlog about it and uh uh, they piped the audio through the car speakers sure is it you like tune into a radio station station. yeah that's cool yeah, because we had that little like metal thing that you hang on your window. Do you remember that thing? You guys are uh-huh. too young. No, yeah, I mean like I've a- n- I've never been to a real drive-in because that didn't exist like as I was growing up. So, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a shame. So, but anyway, like I would consider a drive-in for this, even though I know not the best uh, projection experience, not the best audio experience. Um, no matter how good your car speakers are. Uh, I'm just really looking forward to in a couple months. Um, I'm working on like building out my basement room to be like a kind of a home theater. So that is my tenant room. basically. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. I think that, uh, for me, it's just, I just don't think I can, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can justify it. Even the whole renting out the theater thing, because I mean, a lot of people have pointed out, right. A theater is, unfortunately non-essential right it's I, I i there's no way you can call it essential um and people go in they sit in one room for hours um they they probably have to take the mask off if they're eating or drinking right so it's it's almost guaranteed that they will be breathing in that space uh and then when i saw the reviews come out it's just like oh it's, it's just like body blow body blow body blow against this dream of seeing tenant not only that but uh if i got infected you know from going to see the movie i i I would become that which i hate the most which is like someone who recklessly risks their health to to, for a dumb reason you know to go see a movie and i I just don't know if i could live with myself it's possible that um i can figure out a way to like uh engineer it to be even more safe than what i described and in that case i might see it but like at this Mm -hmm. point like for instance if there was like the first screening of the day i could rent the theater which i haven't found a theater yet that's near me and willing to do that uh that that i might be able to consider but it just right now it just doesn't seem like it's in the cards and you know what also 
Peter Serretta pointed out to me, even if we did see it, even if we did review it on the podcast, no one would listen to that review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because no one's seen the movie. Right. Well, we, so we, we like, could what, do, what? We could do a non-spoiler tenant discussion <laughs> and then a separate episode for spoilers. Yeah. Really milk that tenant. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't mean this to come off as flip as it as it may yeah. on the face appear, but uh there is part of me that feels very fortunate that this crisis did not happen like before Avengers Endgame, Endgame? or before Rise of Skywalker because I, there are no, you know, as disappointed as I was with Rise of Skywalker, it's still a movie that I had to see, right? right? It was and Avengers Endgame the same way. I don't even know of any property at this point that would fit the bill. I mean, future Marvel movies, I feel like we've, we, we completed that 20, however many film cycle. Yeah. Uh, we completed the nine film star Wars cycle. Like there's nothing else. I mean, I'm excited for Dune. I'm really excited for that movie, but, but it doesn't. It, even it's almost touch. like, it's almost like, yeah, between Avengers and Skywalker, it's like 30 to 40 years of like fanboy anticipation has just yeah. like, it's it's, yeah. it's 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 all gotten out of the system at this point, yeah. right? It's, Can you, you imagine though if we had been the in catharsis. this catharsis? You've had the if catharsis. we had been in this situation before those two movies came out. I I I I you don't know you would be potentially like right now, Jeff. You're saying you can comfortably say no. Of course, I would never risk my life to see Tenet. You dumb dumb. Um, <laughs> I, but I, a year I, ago, you might not have felt the same way. Not only that, I can I can safely say I have a hard time imagining any movie that reaches the levels of the end game or rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Like I can't even conceive or, or, or of that, a movie or that will ever reach those again. Right. right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And maybe there will, maybe I hope that there will, that would be wonderful if, if something could achieve that again. But I feel like we've, we, at least for me, for my geekdom, for my fanboyism, mm-hmm. for, for the things that mattered to me as a child, like we did it, we did it, everybody, we can yeah. pack it in. We're done. <laughs> movies are over. Let's yeah. yeah, indeed. All right. Well, anyway, that's what's happening in the world of movies right now. Um, I, I think I would say to everyone listening out there, if you are in the United States, um, don't go see Tenet. That's kind of my <laughs> advice. Um, Dave's, es- Dave's two-minute review. Especially <laughs> under normal circumstances. Uh, like, when I say normal circumstances, I mean, like, in a theater with other people, even if it's only at, like, 30% mm-hmm. capacity. My advice is don't go see Tenet. Um no movie is worth your life. Yeah. And uh, but here, here's the thing. Yeah. People will go see it. If you do see it, don't be a dick about it. How about that? <laughs> That's easy. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But I mean, I don't know about it being easy for people, but I agree with you that they shouldn't do that. Um, anyway, let's move on to what we've been watching this week. Jeff, why don't you walk us through a couple of things you've been walking, uh, watching this week? I've been watching a lot this week, actually. I want to start with uh, a very short thing that is on Netflix called John Was Trying to Contact Aliens. Yeah, this is like a 15-minute short film on Netflix, 16, yeah, 16 minutes. Oh, Um, sorry. Sorry, Jeff. 16 minutes. Well, when it... When you're talking the difference between 15 and 16, it's a significant percentage of movie, you know? That's a a, a big big part. Like a Um, sixth of the movie. (laughs) I'm not good at math, Dave. That's why I do a movie podcast. Um, The... Before I even get there, I should say like a 15th of the movie, but okay, go ahead, Jeff. (laughs) How can it be a 15th of the movie? Well, it's one one minute, one minute difference, right? So (laughs) we're just getting it, making it worse at this point. I'm making it so bad right now. (laughs) Uh, The thing I want to say before we get to any of the what we've been watching is 
My goodness is hashtag slash tag a rousing success. I Good job, team. love yeah. it so much. I love hashtag slash tag. Thank you everyone for the, for the re- recommendations. It's easy. I literally Friday night sat down with my wife on the couch, pulled up my cell phone, looked at the hashtag slash tag and went, what are we going to watch tonight? Here's some recommendations from the slash filmcast listeners. It was great. And we should have done this literally years ago. So having said that, um, I can't remember who it was that recommended John was trying to contact aliens, nailed but it, it was. Nailed it, Jeff. Nailed but it. I, got, I got some other recommendations that I did remember, but um, thank you, whomever you are. Um, but my goodness, has anybody else watched this? Did anybody spend the 16 minutes? Uh, no. I added it to my list, but I have not seen it yet. It is really a beautiful thing. It is like a... Um, it almost feels like a uh, a cone poem of a of a movie, you know. It, I know, Dave, you have uh, lots of experience making short form documentaries, and that is a I think a beautiful um, a beautiful thing where you don't it doesn't it doesn't overstay its welcome. It doesn't need to be stretched into a full length film. It is an interesting person that is interesting for just the right amount of time, right? And this movie it, it kind of proves to me the. Uh, the Netflix benefit, right? Which is, it could be as long as it needs to be. There doesn't, Netflix doesn't have to be an hour. doesn't have to be 22 minutes. It, 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 whatever it is, is what it is. And I, I sat down going, that's awesome. We're going to watch a 16 minute thing. I'm just going to watch this as like a delicious aperitif, you know, it's going to be great. Um, I came out of it going, kind of wish that was longer. I could have seen more of that, uh, which is great. You know, leave them wanting more, I guess. Yeah. yeah. The, I don't even want to spoil this. I think people should just watch it. It it is basically about a fella in Michigan who spent his entire life trying to contact aliens, like building. It's a bit obsessive and a bit um, a bit hoardery uh, with the level of commitment he brought to it. But the movie ends up being about something completely different. And it is gorgeous. It is a beautiful, beautiful, short little poem of a movie. Uh, I don't even know if you can say movie, uh, documentary. Um, and I highly recommend it to everybody. It is, uh, it's lovely. Cool. That's John was trying to contact aliens and it's available right now on Netflix. Jeff, why don't you take us through one more thing before we take a break? Okay. Um, I also checked out the new show, Ted Lazo on Apple TV. Um, this was, this was hashtag slash tagged by, uh, Heisem Ismail. And Brent Peterson, thank you. Oh, oh, I got my hashtag slash tag for John was trying to contact aliens. Steve Yosiro? Nailed it. Yeah. Um, anyway, J- uh, Ted Lasso is the J- Jason Sudeikis vehicle about an American football coach going to the UK and coaching Premier League football. <laughs> but guess what? Football means two different things. Um, I drink yeah. and Sue. Hi, Jenkins, too. So there are, as of this recording, four episodes available on Apple TV Plus, new episodes on Friday. I have watched all four. After the first episode, I was like, do not understand why anybody would like this. By episode three, I was like, I love the show. I love the show. Uh, so I highly recommend anybody giving it a shot, gives it till episode three. Episode one is not really what the show is about, which is weird because uh, the show Starts with this kind of uh, goofball Jason Sudeikis character who's got this, you know, southern drawl 
and is very plain spoken and shows up in the UK and everybody ridicules him. And it's like, why are they doing this? And it's, oh, guess what? It's the, uh, the, the jilted wife of the Premier League club owner who has now filed for divorce and got the club in the divorce settlement wants to tank the team. So it's, it's the producers, it's Major League, it's any of those where we hire the guy to make the team tank. And I was like, okay. And he gets there in the first episode and he knows nothing about soccer, right? He knows nothing about football. Um, and it's like, well, why would anybody take this job and not actually learn anything? It, it made It just felt stupid. But it reveals itself over the next two episodes, or at least it did to me, to be something quite different. And that is this wonderfully earnest, lovely comedy about a good person trying to be good in the face of cynicism. And I found that to be really a breath of fresh air because, you know, ever since I think, I don't know, Arrested Development, The Office, every comedy is now, how awful can these people be? I mean, we literally have shows called You're the Worst or you know, terrible people being terrible. It's literally, it's just all about how cynical, how Man, I, I hate terrible people being terrible, by the way. Yeah. Terrible show. A, <laughs> yeah. You would think maybe terrible people being good would be interesting. That's yeah, the hook, seriously. right? That's the, that's the hook. Yeah. Um, there's another show called something like that, right? Uh, you're the worst and terrible people. I hate terrible people and ha- I hate terrible people. Yeah. Okay. Isn't there like, I hate you or something. I don't know. There's, there's a lot there's of a that lot. kind there's of, there's a lot of that. Yeah. There's a lot of just like, how awful can these humans be? And to be fair, I've enjoyed a number of those shows, uh, watching a number of those shows. You're the worst found very fun, but it's a really lovely breath of fresh air where it's like, okay, here's a whole group of people that are cynical and kind of cutting and snide. And here's this Ted Lasso character thrown in the middle of it. And the first episode makes him seem like a buffoon, which I was like, well, I don't, I don't, that's not fun. There's nothing interesting about that. But what the subsequent episodes at least revealed to me was that the show really thinks highly of him, that he actually is, there's a method to his uh, buffoonery. And he actually is, is just being a really decent person trying to do good. And um, it, it's lovely. I I really kind of fell in love with the show. I I highly recommend Ted Lasso, but do not judge it by its first episode. That is Ted Lasso, and it's available right now on Apple TV Plus. It's time for me to thank our sponsor, which is Lightstream. Lightstream can help you erase your credit card bills. Uh, one of the things I'm most happy about with my life these days is that I have zero credit card debt. I pay off my credit cards every single month. And honestly, it does wonders for my well-being. And a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream can help you mark your bills paid in full. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. Quickly roll balances from multiple credit cards into one single monthly loan payment. Lightstream's credit card consolidation loans have rates from just 5.95% APR with auto pay and... There are absolutely no fees, no fees at all. And just for listeners of this show, apply now to get an additional interest rate discount to save even more. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash filmcast. That's lightstream.com slash the word filmcast for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash filmcast. Subject to credit approval, 
Rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash filmcast for more information. Jeff Canada, what else have you been watching this week? Well, I wanted to talk briefly about uh, another Netflix documentary series that just debuted that is in my wheelhouse. It's called High Score. It's a very um, high-budget, well-produced video game documentary, and it really chronicles video games from their very start. The first game that they really focus on in the documentary is Space Invaders. But then from there, it, it chronicles um, the early history in in detail of uh, the arcades and and the home console systems, Atari 2600, and um, you know on through Nintendo and 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 moving up to more modern times. I I guess there's a theme in this week's episode where I talk about how fucking old I am, but um, I lived all this, right? I, I lived all of it. I owned an Atari 2600 and I played Pong and was obsessed with Pac-Man as a young kid and had Pac-Man sheets on my bed and Pac-Man plates and went as Pac-Man for Halloween. I was obsessed with all of that stuff. So I, I was, I was into it and there's a lot of information in high score, this documentary series that I found um, that I didn't know. Uh, so in that sense, really appreciated the level of detail and how much, um, how much unknown, at least to me, facts about the, the origins of the industry, how some of these things happen. For example, Ms. Pac-Man is like a, a mod boards, like these three dudes like made mod boards and then they got sued. And in the settlement for their lawsuit, got hired on the company that sued them and uh, made Ms. Pac-Man out of Pac-Man boards. It's, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Unfortunately, I really, really don't like the style of this show. It's so, it really feels like it's speaking to eight-year-old kids. Mm. Um, I remember when we talked about, I remember when we talked about Game Master, that documentary, um, uh, and you, you felt like it was um, pretty respectful and in-depth of the art, right? Like, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of coverage is like, oh my gosh, you won't believe the blah, 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 right? Like. It's yeah. very like surface level and sensationalistic, whereas Game Master was not that. Is high score on Netflix closer to that style that you didn't like? I don't know if I would describe it exactly that way, but it is it 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 kind of leans into the goofball. It leans it it doesn't have, I think, the courage to trust that the information itself is interesting. It right. feels like it, you know what it is? Honestly, it's trying too hard. It really is. Like, for example, I think it's episode two or three. There's a, it, it talks about this. It interviews one of the first members of the Nintendo Power hotline where I don't know if you remember this, but for a long time, Nintendo oh, had yeah. a phone number that you could call if you were stuck in any game on on the NES. If no matter what the game, you could call this number and they would walk you through how to get through it. I, I so remember they, calling that once, by the way, and they were absolutely useless. So. <laughs> Thanks a well, lot, Nintendo Power. This uh, this documentary makes it seem like they were, you know, superheroes. <laughs> uh, they uh, that uh, you know had to learn every game and had these big manuals of it. It's it's fascinating from a factual standpoint, from an informational standpoint. But the methodology they use to deliver the information is they interview this guy who was one of the you know young kids who worked there, and in the pictures of him working there in the early eighties, he had a mullet. So in every piece of video they have of him now they put him in a mullet wig and it's like okay i mean 
that's a bit, I guess, but it, 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 and, and that's just one example. I think that the tone overall varies wildly. Sometimes it's really, really respectful. I mean, they get big names and it's really also, I think one of the points of its, um, to its credit is they talk to people who wouldn't be, I think, focused on by maybe other filmmakers. Like they, they pick out, uh, maybe more unsung heroes uh, of the, of the video game origin story. And I think that's great. There, there are, while they do talk to the big players as well, there are a number of interesting people that stand out because they've been overlooked, uh, unfortunately over time. Um, but all too often it just, it relies on this sort of goofy, wacky, like we're worried you're, we're losing your interest. So we're going to do something you know, it, it just, it has a tone too often for my taste that felt trying too hard. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, is, is it worth pressing through that for the material though? Cause I, 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 I did, when is, I saw it on I Netflix, I was like, time. what is, what does Jeff think of this? You know? It's yeah. Just, I had a hard time. Yeah. I, I really had a hard time watching it. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly <laughs> was like, I watched it to, to get through it. And like I said, they're gems. They're gems, nuggets of information that are really cool. And honestly, I also feel perhaps that my, that your mileage may vary my own particular uh, knowledge base with regard to this, because I lived through it and was very, very obsessed with video games during that time. Uh, it would be even more educational to someone that perhaps is younger or didn't, wasn't around during those times or doesn't know the history of some of these companies, or maybe didn't have the firsthand experience uh, that I personally did. So, um, you know, cause I was, I was covering video games when I was 14 professionally. So I, I, I was kind of tied into that and that's, I'm not trying to shoot my own horn. I'm just saying that I, I come at this from a very particular point of view and maybe some of that information that they're trying to jazz up to me was like, yeah, no, I already get it. I, you don't have to make it interesting it's already interesting yeah well that's high score it's on netflix right now maybe i'll check out an episode decide from there but um yeah. i'm sorry that you weren't super jazzed about it jeff uh what else have you been watching this week jeff well i think we're going to talk about love lovecraft country a little bit i think uh, davinder and i are going to have a conversation just the two of us I, that's my yeah, understanding I think we're that oh, really? day from this section. yeah oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh okay Okay. Yeah. So I don't All know right. if you want to do that now or when we uh, get around to uh, Devendra's uh, what we've been watching. Uh, uh, yeah. Why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't we hold off on that? Hold off yeah. on that. Okay. All right. So All I right. just want to briefly mention uh, there was a big WWE event this weekend, and I know I usually don't talk about WWE on the show unless it's WrestleMania. But the other big, the sort of you know, if WrestleMania is the A, the B show of, for the entire year in the WWE is SummerSlam, right? It kind of it, it takes place in the summer and. The uh, the thing with WWE lately is that, you know, it's COVID. We can't put people in a big room and make them watch live sports anymore or even sports entertainment for that matter. And I mentioned when COVID was very fresh and new and WrestleMania happened in March uh, that maybe it was April, whatever, that uh, it was a very strange experience because I think one of the essential elements of that product, of that experience, of the thing I like about professional wrestling is the crowd interaction. And there was no crowd. They did WrestleMania in an empty gymnasium. Uh, and it was very strange and I didn't like it and I didn't think it worked save for the Undertaker outdoor match. But 
The reason I'm bringing up SummerSlam is because, I don't know if you guys know this, but WWE has done something very interesting. I don't know if you guys have seen any of the NBA games where they have sort of, you know, fake yeah. fans in the audience, you know? Mm-hmm. WWE has taken this a step further. And I, I bring it up because I think you guys will be fascinated by this like I have been. They put over a thousand individual LED screens in stands that they built, they built a custom new place. They're calling it the Thunderdome. And it's tiered like you would have like, you know, stadium seating, uh, except in those seats, they're not seats. There's no seats at all. It's just uh, these portrait mode on their end LED screens. And they are letting individual fans have access to the screen. You on their website, you sign up and you agree to certain terms, which are that you will be present at a certain time. You'll check in. You'll be in front of your camera at all times. You will not wear anything offensive. You will not do anything offensive. You will not you know, hold up any sign that is offensive. And you, in return, your face will be one of the thousand plus faces in the quote unquote crowd. And they're they're pumping in uh, crowd noise, and sort of I think I'm uh, sure it's fake. It super helps, believe me. It helps the the product not sound ridiculous. But I can only imagine what kind of technological undertaking that was, because the first time someone stands up and shows their junk on a camera, right? They have to have an army of people watching all of these screens and able to swap them out at any given time. If there's a problem, like if somebody's going to do, and of course somebody's going to do something, right? Right. That was actually the first example I thought of, the one you said, Jeff. Yeah, like showing your junk. How do you stop that? And you just have to have people monitoring all the monitors. <laughs> it's right? got to be. It's got to be like on a delay, like you would have for bleeping a, yeah. a swear word or something. But you do that with. I'm I'm imagining just an army of people staring at those screens making sure they and with a button press they can swap to a different swap it to but, blank or swap to a different different fan but to be fair jeff there's nothing stopping people from doing that in real life too you know what i mean yeah so, i mean i think social pressure is a little different <laughs> but yeah but you know fair point fair point um it's interesting know, to I, see how, it, how the different sports leagues yeah yeah it's interesting to see how the different sports league has have managed this right yeah. um the daily the new york times podcast did an episode about uh the nba bubble being one of the most successful bubbles out there right, right now uh where they've been able to um keep all the players away uh like kind of sectioned off in i think disney world is where they are um yeah they're in orlando yeah not contacting anyone else not coming in contact with anyone else they had like a a beeper that if you come within six feet of someone your beepers will start going off like it's a proximity sensor and uh it's also i assume would help in contact tracing as well if ever there was an outbreak so it's just fascinating to see what people are doing to to give us some sense of normalcy um and also obviously there's a lot of um financial stakes that these people have in these sports events going forward so uh, interesting. So the event was all, SummerSlam, right? Yeah. It, it also shows me that somebody thought it was worth spending that kind of money because we are nowhere near being done with this. That's not a solution you spend something on if you're like, this is we're going to use it six times and throw it away, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it feels like uh, we're going to be in this for a while. I mean, yeah. 
you know, um, I am assuming we're going to be dealing with this uh, in some capacity for years and that like we're not going to be able to go out into like crowded events safely for at least a year is my where I'm at right now. But yeah. Anyway, that's SummerSlam. How'd you watch it, Jeff? Uh, WWE.com is a service. All right. Um, I'll just mention really quickly, I had a chance to check out The Vow, which is a new documentary series that debuted on HBO Max or HBO this weekend. Do you guys hear about this documentary? There's, you might have seen oh, some yeah. pre-roll ads mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, it's constantly ads for it. And at first it was like, oh, this is a story about something positive. And then I went, oh, no. The second ad was like, well, this is real dark. <laughs> I think it's like a vow. Uh, it's called The Vow. And then like... Um, you see uh, it's called like the Nexium story or a Nexium story. And it's about this thing called Nexium, which is spelled N X I V M, but it's pronounced Nexium like the ant- antacid drug. Uh, and it's basically about a Scientology esque cult um, and what happens uh, to the people who were involved in it. Uh, and you, the, the very first moments, the first episode, you find out that, I think the head of Nexium was indicted on uh, charges of racketeering and other terrible things for running a, what was publicly called a sex cult. Uh, and then the first episode then like kind of rewinds and takes you way back. And what's fascinating about the first episode is it shows you why people got involved in this thing, right? It's kind of like, in some ways, the first episodes of Wild Wild Country, which is another uh, documentary we discussed, another cult-like situation we discussed here on the podcast, where you see people whose lives were profoundly altered for the better uh, because they joined uh, this cult, right? Because they joined this group of people who were, who had like positive messages. Um, you know, they, uh, had these weird rituals that on the outside look bizarre, but like when you think of like any rituals that we do in reality, uh, all of our rituals are kind of weird and nobody joins the cult for the murders, Dave, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, you work up to the murders. <laughs> I know. Uh, it, it's a good point. And, and it's a documentary like the vow that makes you remember this, you know? Um, and so the fir- that's what the first episode is about. It's about like, why did people get involved in the first place? What, what did they get out of it? And uh, I assume the next episodes are going to delve into uh, what happens afterwards. But I-, I have to say, I thought the first episode was really well done. And it kind of made me feel like, okay, the- the- I'm in good hands with these filmmakers. I'm probably going to keep watching it. So that is The Vow. And it's available right now on HBO. I'll also mention this. Um, which is something else I watched. Uh, people, I think this is a hashtag slash tag, but uh, people have also been mentioning this to me on Twitter separately than the hashtag, which is that uh, there's a documentary on Netflix called Love, Love on the Spectrum. Yeah. Um, and it's... <laughs> All right. I mean, <laughs> basically, I, 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 you know, I had a long week last week and I, I ended up watching Married at First Sight on Netflix. Have you guys heard of the show? Yes. No, but the title says it all, Dave. <laughs> very, very well explained. Yeah. These experts match people up um, and then they get married the first day they meet. And then they need to d- decide whether or not they're going to stay together or not. And 
It's it's like one of the worst things I've ever watched in my entire life. I, I <laughs> fourteen hours. Uh, I, I, I stuck with it to the end. I hated every second, but my goodness, fourteen straight hours of television. <laughs> I I mean, the reason I'm I'm talking the way I am is because I'm I'm deeply ashamed that I watched this show. You know. And I tweeted about how I was really sad that I watched it. And people have recommended, you know, we should watch Love on the Spectrum instead. So these two shows could not be more different in their approach to the subject matter. Um, Married at First Sight is trash. The show is trash. It's it's the it's like reality television, but not even like, you know, because I, I think reality television can be good. Right. Uh, and this show is not good. It is. It's one of those reality only TV shows. Only there was some clue as to whether it would be good. If only, yeah, if only I could have seen any of the warning signs that <laughs> that indicated that Married at First Sight would not be an uplifting show. The summary actually said, David Chen, do not watch this. What are you doing? <laughs> you clicked <Yeah>. anyway. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, I said, I tweeted that I'm, I was watching the show and feeling really, really bad about myself. And people recommended I watch Love on the Spectrum. I watched one episode of Love because, on the Spectrum. Because like fire, <laughs> the only thing that can fight reality television is reality television. Am I right? Uh, Better well, reality well, th- television. That's the thing is sure. I would argue that Love on the Spectrum is less of a reality TV show and more uh, akin to a documentary. Um, it's not. I don't think it is quite a documentary because I do think the the producers are engineering some component of it is my, my sense. But... Um, it is not nearly as offensive or as shallow as Married at First Sight. I think it's actually very um, compassionate, very understanding, very thoughtful about its subjects. And uh, it's it's a heartwarming show that kind of makes you think about the nature of love. And uh, I would highly recommend Love on the Spectrum. And I would not recommend Married at First Sight, both of which are available on Netflix. So. Um, Jeff, it sounds like you got recommended Love on the Spectrum as well, right? I did. And um, I wasn't going to say this, but I I don't think I can bring myself to watch that show. I, I, I fear I would be uh, very, that would be a blubbering mess. And uh, th- th- there are many shows where I talk about uh, ugly crying. Uh, we were talking about um, Speed Cubers as an example. Uh, it, but the difference is I didn't know that about speed cubers before I got into it. <laughs> right. I enjoyed it because, uh, I, I, I probably would never have turned it on if I had known it would do that to me. I didn't, didn't I tell you, Oh, I, I we watched it the same week. Right. That's yeah. Right. So it wasn't yeah. like I pre I predated you watching it. I just, I uh, know this is going to destroy me and I, I have a, I, I don't think I can bring myself to push play. So, Interesting. Interesting. Is it like you have kind of, I, I just want to understand how it works. You have like emotional reserves basically and anything yeah. that's going to substantially use that you want to be careful how you spend it down. Is that right? I think that's a pretty good way of saying it. Uh, it's more like, I, I feel like um, I'm pretty well beat down these days. And uh, while sometimes, you know, speed cubers was very cathartic and beautiful a release of emotion and and maybe this show would be as well but i don't relish that <laughs> i'm not looking i'm not looking for that like when it happened i was like oh this is great but and maybe that would ha- i mean i have a feeling i would probably love it but 
the idea of it's like sitting down to watch. I don't know, Requiem for a Dream or, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, just, are you ever in the mood to watch that movie? Does it like, you know what you're getting yourself into? You know, it's like. Did you just compare Speed Cubers and Love on the Spectrum to Requiem for a Dream? Well, Is that the first about? movie that popped into my head was Schindler's List. So let's all be <laughs> glad I didn't do that. You've never gotten in trouble for comparing movies to Schindler's List, have you, Jeff? No, uh, not movies. But um, the, the idea being the experience that you know what you're going to get, right? You know, you know it's going to be emotionally draining. And I, I have a hard time getting over the hump of deciding to get into the emotionally draining place. Once I've started watching something and it ends up being emotionally draining, I usually am like, oh, this is wonderful. But <laughs> it's the idea of like, I'm going to sit down and just obliterate myself. I, I have a hard time. <laughs> I'm going to welcome my own annihilation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my emotional health is completely uh, destroyed at this point. Yeah. yeah, no, I understand. I understand. Well, anyway, those who wish to have a cathartic experience may wish to watch Love on the Spectrum. And if you want to have an experience in which you feel bad about yourself, Married at First Sight is also a great choice. <laughs> Both shows are on Netflix right now. By the way, Jeff, when you really want to destroy yourself, go watch Normal People because, yeah. oh, man, oh, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Hey, let me jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. <sighs> right now, it is a very stressful time in the world. I don't have to tell you that. We all know that we're dealing with a lot of things that can be interfering with our own happiness and preventing us from achieving our goals. I know I'm having a very tough time uh, during COVID. One of the things that has helped me is to talk to someone who actually can help and a real licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp connects you with your own licensed professional therapist. My wife's been using this for a while now and she, she really likes it because you can start communicating in under 48 hours and you get professional counseling done securely online on your timetable. You don't have to go out of the house. No one wants to leave the house during quarantine anyway. And this is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's actual professional counseling. And there's a broad range of expertise available uh, that you can get. You don't even have to worry about it, a person being available locally because it's the internet. So you can actually browse from a much wider selection of expert counselors and the service is actually available worldwide. You can log into your account anytime, send a message to your counselor anytime, and then you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in a waiting room or worry about going out of the house at all like traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating greater therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Visit their website and read the testimonials or you can just listen to me. I, I'm so happy with this service. My wife has been using it, like I said, and uh, she finds it so convenient, so easy, and it really does help her work through all of the things that are getting in the way of, of her happiness day to day. So visit betterhelp.com filmcast. That's better, H-E-L-P, help. And join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. 
So there's a special bonus offer for uh, listeners of the Slash Filmcast. You get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash filmcast. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Devinder Hardware, what have you been watching this week? Oh, a couple of things. Uh, I finally saw Lovecraft Country. Woo! Through, uh, uh, no thanks to David Chet. No, neither of us. We had to watch it after its air date. Mm. Ugh. Like, like, yeah. Like, like, the like a couple of shumps. Yeah. Basically. yeah. I don't know. It's not great. A couple of non-Chan friends. Do <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, so I have to say, uh, I really love the first episode. I thought I did a great job of setting up this world and just like the crazy visuals of what it is. Love the cast. Love everything. Um, especially, um, especially which Smollett is in this one? Is it Jesse Smollett? No, Journey um, Smollett. Journey Smollett. Yeah, I get them yeah, all. Journey. I get all the Smollett's confused because they have very <laughs> similar names. Uh, but Journey Smollett, who I love very much from uh, from Birds of Prey and so many things. She was in Friday Night Lights, like towards the later yeah, seasons. And she sure was. She was fantastic there. She is great here doing the Scream Queen thing and doing very good at running away from scary things in a horror movie type setting. Um, so I think that's good. The second episode... Gives me a little pause. I do wonder where they're going with this. I have not read the book. Um, it just feels like things are moving very quickly, and I don't really have time to like sit back and absorb what is happening to these characters and this overall mystery. Um, and some of it just feels pretty hokey. But I enjoy the visuals. I love the characters, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going with it. Yeah, I uh, I am I am on that page, but I think a little bit more amplified because I, in, in both cases, I thought the first episode was near perfect. I just was bowled over by it, by how much money they must have spent on that first episode. It just feels like the money was on the screen. It was gorgeously shot. It, it had these lavish period settings uh, with, you know, a, a street party that was just so sumptuous and beautifully lit. And it just it felt it just felt mm-hmm. like this stepping into another time and place. And then the second half of the first episode was pulse pounding and edge of the uh, edge of your seat excitement. And man, it it just, it just had everything. I loved the characters. I thought the mystery was beautifully laid out. I couldn't wait to find out more about what this, the the magic of this world was going to be about and the rules of this world. And then the second episode felt like an utter train wreck to me. It just felt I felt like I watched what should have been an entire season of yes, television. Yeah. In 50 it felt minutes. like a season yep. finale of something. Not yeah. even a season finale. It felt like we compressed <laughs> all of the beats of a season. It's like, okay, we're looking for dad. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but it, mm-hmm. like everything mm-hmm. that they set up like happens. And, and you're like, well, I thought that was our arc for this whole season was going to happen. Yep. And, <laughs> and things are completely unexplained and stuff just comes out of nowhere and there's like time shifting and you don't under, it was just like, what? I I think it's more of the things coming out of nowhere that bugs me. Like uh, from a plot perspective, it feels like we're getting too much, but I, especially with a story like this, I want to sit back and drink in this setting and these characters. I think Jonathan Majors is doing an incredible job. um, And, we just don't get to spend time with these characters and what they think and how they're going the through. First things. episode we did. Yeah. We yeah. Like, it was a beautifully paced first episode. We got to hang out with them and like, you know, fall into like with all these games. You know, I really mm-hmm. enjoy these people and their relationships were interesting. And, you know, we have this, 
lovely scene in the first episode of um, Uncle George and his wife, like just being in bed and love with each other and just snuggling. And we get some sense of who she is and that she's really a smart cookie and could be writing the travel logs herself. And it's like, we, we get to spend all of this lovely time with all these characters. And then the mm-hmm. second episode is like, fuck that. We ain't got time for that shit. You know, there's 14 people. There's a really scary castle. Guess what? Castle's gone. Moving on. Who cares? You know, it's like, what, what? what whiplash man it's unreal i don't understand it's these two episodes are from the same show it's like Mm -hmm. what is going on give us give us some time to react to the revelation before the revelation is completely irrelevant it's wild yeah pretty much it's kind of how i felt watching um this was my feeling of Avengers Infinity War of just like things happening, things, 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 plot, plot, plot characters. And I, I need time to drink things in. So there's that. Uh, did you have any further thoughts, Dave? You feel oh, free. To oh, oh, sorry. I didn't know I was part of this conversation. Um, yeah. yeah um, I agree completely with what Jeff said. I think the, <laughs> um, the second episode was virtually incomprehensible. It, it, the, 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 the pilot was one of the best pilots I've ever seen in my whole life. Right, like so good. It's so good, and then for them to follow it up with the second episode, I'm willing to stick by it. But it's yeah. just like, oof. and also, by the way, I've heard some pretty rough stuff is coming from an Asian perspective uh, with regards to the racial politics of the show. So, and like episode two did nothing to quell my fears about that. So I am, um, I'm wearing. I, mean, I really wearing, hope this does not become another Walking Dead, where there's like a perfect pilot. And then, you know, pretty much the rest of it is trash. So I don't we'll, know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but that's Lovecraft Country. Uh, amazing pilot. Really, really rough second episode. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how the show progresses from here. It's on HBO Max, by the way. Um, Devendra, what else are you watching? I did see that Tesla biopic uh, by Michael L. Moreta. And this is a really interesting movie. So it stars Ethan Hawke as Tesla has a really great cast all around. Like Kyle MacLachlan's in this as Thomas Edison. And this is a really fun, irreverent take on Tesla's life and kind of his story and everything. Um, and, it, it, you know, it is a low-budget movie, but it employs a lot of, like, tricks to really tell the story. Like, um, there'll be a point where some characters are just talking about, like, um, you know, if you Google Nikola Tesla, you'll find all these things while they're in their period clothes and playing a period character or something. Uh, there's a lot of modern music in it. Uh, it's stylish. It's energetic. I really dug it, um, especially because it felt so unconventional. But I can understand, like, if you're looking for a straightforward biopic, something that maybe is a little more serious, um, it may be disappointing. And this is the this is from the guy who did the uh, the modern adaptation of Hamlet with Ethan Hawke back in like 2002. So, you know, he, he tries to do different things with these adaptations and uh, I can't fault him for it. Like I, I I remember seeing that movie back in the day and it was certainly weird, but it was at least like he swung for a really interesting adaptation of Hamlet. This is worth watching, especially if you're interested in the Nikola Tesla story. I think Ethan Hawke does some great work here too, as sort of like uh, he's, he's not even putting on much of an accent, but he is, embodying you know a broken genius who feels like he just doesn't belong in the world he's somebody who's always maybe a little several decades ahead of everybody else so yeah i think he really embodies the tragedy of that really well and uh yeah this movie's really well made so just uh check it out it's fun it's a fun interesting biopic 
Hmm, I'm intrigued. Yeah. I, I think Ethan Hawke your... has been he, Ethan Hawke's been picking such interesting projects at this part of his career. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I'm like intrigued just when I see Ethan Hawke is doing something. You know? It's a good phase for him. Like he's he's always trying to do something a little different. So like yeah, he'll go from like freaking uh, I don't know. Like he'll do First Reformed, which I think is a is a fantastic movie. But then he will pop up in Valerian, right, or or yeah, other things. Yeah. So like he's all over the place. That's but I, I'm really digging it. I've heard that Tesla kind of yeah reinvents the biopic formula, so I'm kind of interested. I, in I that. wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. Like I think <laughs> I think the Steve Jobs movie, you know, reinvented the biopic formula. People hated that because of what it did. Uh, this feels like a really fun. I, I've seen biopics like this before. I've seen movies that try to take a historical character and try to spice it up or bring in some like wry modern reverency or something, but. Uh, you know, it's good and it's worth it. It's worth it alone for, uh, I'm not even going to spoil it. There, there's a point where Ethan Hawke sings something in this movie. I think it's, uh, it's kind of great. All right. Well, that is Tesla. It's available right now on video and men. Devinder, did you buy it or rent it? I bought it. I'm buying bought, the movies. I need to. bought the Tesla. Yeah, I bought, I bought the Tesla. Tesla. This is the only <laughs> Tesla I'll ever be able to buy. Let me just say that. Um, but I did buy the Tesla. I am, especially if it's an independent movie that is, vaguely well-reviewed um i'm gonna pay for it i'm not putting my movie money anywhere you know so yeah i gotta support these things yeah yeah you're you, you, that's what i was saying earlier with the tenant thing it's like we're, we're not spending nearly as much money on movies as we usually would otherwise yeah right? but so. i feel like tenant uh i don't know that movie's gonna see money right <laughs> the tesla yeah. biopic probably not <laughs> yeah i mean it's it, it's it's no te- the Tesla biopic is no tenet when it comes to box office exactly tape, so yeah all right uh, let's move on um, before we get to our weekly plugs and our review I want to thank all the people who donated to the podcast I want to thank first of all Chris Gamulia Chris Gamulia um, apparently he donated quite a while ago and I forgot to list him so that's my bad J T from Florida donated this week. He writes, happy 40th birthday to Phil, my brother-in-law. He's running 40 miles for his birthday this year. Whoa, we both love nice. the podcast and he listens to you guys when he runs. Jeff Kanata, you're a runner, right? How, how What's the I longest am. you've ever run? Well, I've done seven marathons. Um, Damn. And so those are, those are nowhere near 40 miles. I mean, those are, you know, 23.2, but uh, I've also done uh, two Ragnar races uh, wow. where you go 200 miles, but that's uh, in a group of uh, what? Seven people, six people. So, yeah, but no, I've never run 40 at a stretch. That is very impressive. That's ultra marathon style. Incredible. Incredible. Thanks also to Nathan Trent from Perth, Australia for I said 23.2. It's 26.2. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I've run seven of them. I, I don't, you don't remember the last three miles. You yeah. Know, you, know you, just, you blacked out for those. <laughs> what um, a- Doofus I am. Nathan Trent from Perth, Australia. Also, Neil Harris, who writes, Hey guys, genuinely love the show and the lightheartedness joking between the three of you. I would like to dedicate this donation on behalf of my amazing wife, Lindsay Harris, and our six-year anniversary. We started our relationship off like a mix between Before Sunset and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It eventually blossomed to a mix between Moulin Rouge and The Great Gatsby. Now with three young kids running around, it seems like we're stuck in Groundhog's Day playing three men and a baby. I love you, and I can't wait to see which movie our next chapter becomes. That's from Neil Harris. I love uh, that. I'm trying to. I'm trying to parse that. I, I get the last <laughs> one. I get the Groundhog's Day, three men and a baby thing. Uh, I'm in that too. But the, the first two are a little more enigmatic. I like it. 
Yeah, um, Moulin Rouge and Great Gatsby, I, I got to point out, not known for having really positive romances <laughs> with good endings. Yeah, good endings. Yeah, no. Didn't go no. so well. Not really. Yeah, not, not. I like <laughs> I like it before sunset with Rocky Horror. It feels freaky. I That's love it. Great. I, That's great. But yeah, Moulin Rouge and the Great Gatsby, maybe the first act of those films, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it just, you know, the, anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> let's move on also to our monthly donors Pete Baravish, Mel Dussault Judson White, Sophie Elizabeth Johnson Kong Huynh and Andreas Stenland thanks so much for your contributions at a regular rate per month we really really appreciate it if you want to support the Slash Filmcast go to SlashFilm.com click on the Slash Filmcast tab use the PayPal links on the side of the page you can also go to PayPal.me Slash Filmcast it's PayPal.me Slash Filmcast all right, before we have our review, let's get to weekly plugs. Mm-hmm. This is weird. I wanted them to be super excited. Rods, reels, and romance. So good. We are texting each other furiously. I love that you did that. Unsolicited. Let me tell you. I think in a way, it takes a lot to get us to furiously text. So good. Unsolicited. All over the place. So good. So good. Let the internet have its way. Plugs. 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 We'll cut. We, we might cut it down. <laughs> All right. Welcome That's to weekly plugs. So good. I just we might we might cut it. Always <laughs> makes so, me laugh. The part of the podcast each week where we recommend something uh, that we've been working on, or maybe that someone else has been working on. You know what that makes me laugh, Dave? It's because every time it's it. I don't believe it's part of the thing. I feel like you're saying we're gonna like you're like stepping in and you're like, this whole yeah, we're gonna that. we're gonna yeah. cut it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, every yeah. time, every time yeah, it gets no, that's, me. That's fair. That's fair. A uh, couple quick plugs this week uh, on culturally relevant. My other podcast, I interview uh, Jesse Moss. The director, one of the directors of Boy State, which is a movie we're about to review. Um, and when I say I interview him, I mean that is an interview that hopefully will happen this week. It's scheduled. That <laughs> it's always it's always going out on a limb when when you're promising an interview that hasn't happened yet. Um, so it, it, so many things can go wrong in the interview scheduling process, and maybe it will it d- doesn't happen, and you just never get to hear this interview. And if that's the case, I'm genuinely sorry, um, but. If everything goes according to plan, you're going to hear an interview with uh, Jesse Moss, the director of Boy State on Culturally Relevant. Check that out uh, and subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. Also, I gave my wife a haircut this week. It was one of okay. the things it was it was a Patreon goal that I would give my wife a haircut and film it. And if you want to see how that turned out, did she uh, did she agree to this goal or are you just telling her now? Uh, like it was an involuntary <laughs> Patreon goal. No, no, it, it was her yeah. idea. It I was will her sneak idea. up behind my wife and give her a haircut, <laughs> ja- like jackass style, like on the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was her idea uh, to make it a Patreon goal. She was very encouraging. Um, I think, in retrospect, uh, it's not a super appealing Patreon goal, um, as someone put it. I'm not going to <laughs> donate to Patreon to see you give your wife a terrible haircut. Uh, and you know that makes when he says it like that, it makes more sense. But uh, I will just say that you should check out this video, uh, this vlog I made of uh, giving my wife a haircut. Can we at least find out if if you're if she was happy with it? Uh, I will say she was moderately happy with it. Moderately. That's a a win. That's a win. I agree. As somebody who's clearly never given a hair. You've never given a haircut, right? uh, Never. Never. Yeah. Yeah. I I can barely cut my own hair. I mean, I I shave my own head using an electric razor. 
You're no Vidal Sassoon. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know what you're saying, Jeff. I know what you're saying. Anyway, check out that vlog. It's on my YouTube channel. Devendra Hardwar, you got something to recommend this week, right? I got something. Uh, let me tell you, folks. Republic City Dispatch is back. The Legend of Korra is now on Netflix. So, uh, What, what is Republic City Dispatch, for those who don't know? It is the Legend of Korra podcast that I did with Dave Gonzalez, Matt Patches, and Joanna Robinson back in the day. Uh, pretty much, oh, man, six years ago. It was a while. Actually, was it? it was eight years ago. I think it was 2012 this thing started. It was a while ago. We were all in very different places. Um, so we are going back and re-reviewing the series like from the perspective of time and also looking at it, um, you know, seeing how new fans are taking it and everything too. Uh, so we're doing it one book at a time. It is four seasons, so we'll be we'll be doing each. Um, so check that out. Yeah, what a yeah. Great idea. So, and what's funny is that people who have had that you know subscription on their feeds for the past eight years or so, you know, uh, it, all of a sudden it lit back up. It is kind of that rare thing where a podcast you once subscribed to can still like ping and still be alive once in a while. So yeah, you can subscribe to us everywhere. I believe you can also find it at fightinginthewarroom.com slash Korra. Come listen to us talk about Legend of Korra. And if you have not seen Avatar The Last Airbender, you should watch that. That is the show you should all be watching right now. It's so good. Mm -hmm. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. Well, I promise I won't say this every single week, but uh, you know, I just started. I just started on the cameo uh, recently. I, I've, I'm not quite done twenty of them, but I'm getting close to twenty, and uh, I'm real proud of them. I wanted to read you uh, one of the several reviews I've gotten on my cameo page. If you don't know what cameo is, it's a uh, it's an app and I believe a website as well uh, where you can um, pay for people to talk to you, <laughs> to send you a message, or send a message on your behalf. Uh, I decided uh, I was urged by by friends and Dave uh, to, <laughs> to, <laughs> wow. to, uh, to 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 uh, I didn't get no inv- invite. Friends got invites, bro, to uh, to that uh, screening. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, to the dot. Uh, yeah, yeah, to the dot. Um, anyway, the way I was urged to uh, to share li- limericks with more folks and. Uh, I have been writing limericks, almost uh, almost 20 limericks at this point on Cameo, and I wanted to read a, a review left for me unsolicited. Uh, this is just somebody who said, uh, quote, when looking for the perfect one-year anniversary gift, one may go for the traditional gift of something paper or perhaps some jewelry, but as I can now testify, the best way to sum up your appreciation for your loved one is in the form of a limerick. Jeff absolutely nailed this with such a thoughtful and clever message that had us laughing and tearing up at the same time. As longtime Slash Filmcast listeners, this blew us away, and I cannot recommend this enough. Thanks, Jeff. So uh, there's a number of uh, very positive uh, reviews, and people have sent me uh, thank you notes, and uh, it's lovely, and I'm so proud of it. And um, if you have any occasion, doesn't have to be an anniversary, birthday, really, just to pick me up any anniversary I've done, a number of things. I even did my first announcement of a child coming uh, in the limerick form, which was a delight to do. Uh, although I probably shouldn't say that. We have to cut that out. I don't know if that's been delivered yet no, to the person who might. So here's the thing is I cannot say that I have not gone to Jeff Kanata's cameo page and watched a crap ton of his limericks. You know? Oh, thanks. Um, Are they all there? You can go, to, you can go and just watch them? So the way cameo works, works. <laughs> the way, yeah, I, it's like the way cameo works is when the person buys the cameo, they select whether they want it to be public or not. Oh, interesting. And 
basically, Jeff, you have not even gone to your own page and seen what's there. <laughs> no, no, I'm too, I'm too busy working on writing limericks. <laughs> yeah, okay, so Jeff, uh, if you go to your page, there's a shit ton of cameos that you've made that you, people yeah. can watch to decide whether oh, cool. they want to buy a cameo or not. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I um, guess you don't really get the context of knowing what the information people gave me to create the limerick, but I, I mean, maybe it comes through. But I've been really uh, proud of how I've worked in people's uh, tidbits of info and stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's cool. I did get this email, Jeff. I'm gonna. I, I'm sorry I didn't prep you with this, but I thought I'd just read this on the air because I got this email right when the podcast began tonight. Um, Diane from Redondo Beach, California writes, I just listened to the Project Power episode and Jeff's comment about people not sending him enough information for his cameo limericks. I went to purchase one for my husband for our seven-year wedding anniversary and I discovered there is a 250-character limit in the description. Mm. I don't know if that's a cameo default or one Jeff put on, but I'd love to provide more than 250 characters so Jeff has enough fodder for his limerick response. Jeff, any thoughts on getting a longer description to you via this email address, perhaps? You know, it just occurred to me, Jeff, this probably shouldn't have been read on the air. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it on the air, you know, because. Yeah. Uh, then- well, I will address that. Uh, first of all, I don't I don't make the character limit. There may be a way for me to take it off. No idea. I'll check that. But um there, there, there's, isn't, there isn't, yeah. There's also a, a full uh, sort of uh, message back and forth thing. Uh, I don't know if I have to respond before they get another 250, but if you are pushed up against the limit, you can say in your 250, like, I would love to give you more. In fact, I had somebody who said, I'd love to give you more info. And I said, oh, here's then my you, email you address. You reply, basically. And you yeah, and then like I, I literally sent that person my email address and they sent me a huge amount of information about their friend which was very helpful. So yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to engage in that way. All right, it helped well, me because it's hard to make limericks when you don't know enough. <laughs> I appreciate Jeff's wordplay and you can actually just go to Jeff's page and watch the cameos that, that people agree to make available. And it's pretty fun. So I'd recommend it. Thanks. Yeah. Cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. All right. Um, I think that's going to bring us to our review of boy state. I will skip the part where I brag for three minutes about how great and cool I am. Seeing as we are all qualified young men of skill and character. People like that stuff. People like that stuff a lot. Some people say they're a sports junkie. I say I'm a politics junkie. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. I'm playing this like a game. I would like very much to win. I love it, boys. I love it. Where are you from? I come from a very modest family. Uh, I'm on the course to be the first one to graduate from high school. I am a progressive person, and I'm in a room full of mostly conservative people. Our masculinity shall not be infringed. I've never seen so many white people ever. I feel like everybody has a secret underlying need for bipartisanship. That was from the trailer for Boys State, a new documentary that's available right now on Apple TV+. I'm going to read the plot summary from the internet. Texas teens learn about American democracy by organizing political parties and running a mock government. This is a Slash Filmcast, and joining us today for our review of Boys State, uh, her writing has appeared at pajiba.com, avclub.com, and rogerebert.com. Roxana Haddadi, welcome to the Slash Filmcast. Roxana, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing okay, you know, as well as anybody can be with the RNC happening. So, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to, uh, I'm glad we're talking about this movie because I think it's quite relevant to what's happening in the world right now. Um, I quite enjoyed your review of this film over at Pajiba.com. 
you actually had quite a different opinion of this movie than the site's owner uh, or create, site's creator, uh, Dustin Rawls. He, he was very encouraged by Boy State, was he not? He, he found there to be a lot to uh, empathize with there. Yeah. And uh, you had a considerably less uh, optimistic view. Uh, tell us what you thought overall of this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, my review called it the scariest movie I've seen so far this year. And mm. I stand by that. I think it is deeply unsettling and very worrisome about the future of this country. I mean, I said this in my review. I think a lot of people, myself included, have sometimes slipped into that ideology of like, when the boomers die, everything will be fine. <laughs> I feel like every generation feels that way, but I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. And and watching that uh, made that very clear to me that that is short-sighted in its own way. So, yes, it is a documentary about the Boy State program, um, which I was unaware of. I didn't know that this was a thing. That is organized by the American Legion um, in states all around the country. Um, and Dustin, who is the owner of Pajiba, he, like you guys said, was very hopeful. He saw a lot of hope in there being liberal leftist kids in states like Texas who are inspired by figures like Bernie Sanders and become politically motivated because of that. And so he found a lot of hope in that. I found it extremely horrifying that there are like two of those kids out of a thousand in Texas Mm -hmm. and the other 998 are 17 year old white boys screaming about abortion and guns. So that was not something I was very into. Um, but yes, yes. Yeah. And we, we should point out that like, uh, the beginning of this film kind of establishes the, the bona fides of boys state as, as a, as an enterprise, you see like a lot of famous well-known people have been through the program. Um, uh, Bill Clinton, I think Samuel Alito, Cory Booker Booker, are all shown. Right. So none of, um, nobody else did this. Dick Cheney. Yeah. Dick Cheney. There you go. Um, Nobody else did this. I did this. No, oh, I, I did no. not know this existed. You, you did the actual. You went to the actual event. Well, in California, it's not boys state. It's co-ed and it's called youth in government. Mm. Uh, and uh, I I did this in high school and we you know, we went to Sacramento and we took over. It, it, it's organized very differently than this. It was in multiple, multiple events. Uh, and the election actually happened before the final event ever happened so that the final event, the week long one was just running the government, but you had two camps that you would go to leading up to it. And then the second of those camps, you elect everybody. And then, and you did it like, um, it it was wild. I mean, it's like you really do it. You, it was a giant warehouse. I'll never forget this, by the way, I was a massive nerd, didn't have any (laughs) friends, I, I went to the, I remember very vividly going to the second camp with a Walkman and a single cassette tape that was a blank cassette that I had recorded one song from the radio on. And Love that it. song was Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh, And wow. I listened, okay. and this, this dates me very specifically. Uh, I'm <laughs> older than all of you. Uh, the, um, the, and I listened to that song on repeat just rewound it and played it and rewound it and played it and was sullen and nerdy and didn't have any friends and felt bad for myself. And, you know, grunge was perfect for me anyway. Um, but it was really, really a cool experience because in the second weekend, uh, there's this giant warehouse 
and all of the different counties of California would announce just like you see at the conventions that are happening now, the Democratic National Convention, the Republican National Convention. They are very different these days because of uh, COVID and being remote. But back in, you know, every other year that they've done these, uh, they have these big, you know, pomp and circumstance and they go, we'd like to throw our 48 delegates behind, you know, Barack Obama or whatever. Everybody cheers. Uh, And that's what a bunch of teenagers were doing. We would be like, we want to throw our our delegation behind, you know, Tom from Rancho Cucamonga. Yay. You know, and and that's and everybody would cheer. And it was this massive party. And uh, and then the, the week of actually being in Sacramento was all all business it was like you were running the government everybody was we were passing laws we were you know and you see some of that in this documentary but um it really wasn't about it seems like boys state is is mostly about the election and then very little of the actual you know it's like form the platform uh you know do all the ramp up to what it would be like to govern and then that you're done and our experience was actually a week of governing or maybe it was a weekend i think it was a full week but I was too chicken. I, I was just so scared of anybody noticing me at, at that point in my life that I, I didn't run for anything. I didn't even want to be in the political side. I, I think I went into the, uh, the judicial branch, uh, and I was involved in the judicial branch. Wait, wait. So Jeff, why did you do this in the first place? I, I, I have no recollection of wanting to. <laughs> It was involuntary boys state. Yeah, basically. it just happened. No, I want to be very clear. It was not boys state. It was this youth in government and it was com- absolutely 100% co-ed, um, which I think makes a big difference. And um, I, there was a lot of things in that time in my life where I think my parents just signed me up for stuff and I mm-hmm. would just mm-hmm. do it. I don't remember like saying to myself, I want to do that, but maybe I did. I don't, I don't, I don't recall. <laughs> Devinger Hardware, curious, what did you think of this movie? Hey, I uh, I, I kind of follow along Roxana's side here because I, I found this movie absolutely terrifying. It reminded me of the first time I went to Amherst College, which is where I met David Chen. Uh, and we were roommates at one point. But uh, let me just say, Amherst College, the whitest place I've ever been. And the shock of being there and of going there from living in like Hartford where there is Hartford, Connecticut, not a huge city, but it's a city and it's a diversity and there's all sorts of people. Um, it's, it was a very shocking experience. So to see this, I really felt for poor, um, poor Stephen Garza oh my God. and poor Renee Otero, who are like the, uh, there aren't many people of color in this group, but there are some, but they're the outspoken ones. They're the ones who are not also they're pushing against the tide of conservatism in this. Um, certainly, I didn't feel the same way to Amherst. Like Amherst was like, a, it, it was just the culture shock of where I was that was different for me. But yeah, I found this movie absolutely terrifying because it's like so many of these kids, all of these kids really, especially like Ben Feinstein, which is Ugh. a really, man, like a super villain of like oh ideology, God. just like a really, really fascinating characterization of uh, of kind of like a sociopath or somebody who's really built up this belief I think we system. need to be real careful like these are <laughs> yeah. actual people and actual yeah. kids yeah. you know at least yeah, we need to yeah, be yeah. real careful about that kind of stuff I, I agree I, I, I agree with yeah. Jeff I agree with sure you. okay fine um, these are not, not characters gonna... in a movie right they're people <laughs> which I don't they're, disagree they're people, with but, but I also yeah. feel like you did agree to be in a documentary 
Well, I'm just describing what I see on screen. Let me counter that too. Let me counter that by saying that, like, you know, these these kids are engaged in what is essentially a game. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's not like they're actually going out and like impacting people's lives in any way. In at least in the events depicted, it's basically if you told me, "Hey, you're in a game," you know, like it's like Ender's Game, right? Like you're you're a kid. You're you told me like, "Hey, you need to win no matter what the cost." They're going to do terrible things. It's not a, but it's not necessarily like they're sociopaths. It's like the function of the situation that they are in. Listen, okay, okay. Before you guys push back, I'm just, I'm judging everything I see in the movie and everything I see Ben Feinstein do and a lot of other people do is people who are, you know, really building up these belief systems based on what these teenage boys are so against abortion because why? Because they heard it on the radio, because their parents told them this. Like it's they're yes. full of this conviction, which is terrifying to me. And Ender's Game is probably a good example, Dave, because we all know how that story ends. And I feel like the story yeah, for guess, a lot of these kids guess, is going to end. The best example. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a very prescient end, example. It's going to end with these kids in office because they're the ones driven to run for office and be politically minded. They're going to be successful. Ben Feinstein is going to be super successful in life. Um, doing, you know, politically minded things and you can kind of track where things are heading. It just, it makes me so goddamn tired and so sad for the state of America because also I didn't know this thing existed. I've never heard of Boy State. I've never seen these huge like political conventions where they take over a Capitol building. Okay, your thing sounds better, Jeff, but to me watching this whole thing, it is such a machine of turning out little conservative clones to just say the same things and really don't believe in anything too. But so the movie is fascinating. I think it's terrifying, but the movie is fascinating mainly because Steven Garza is such a, what a good like protagonist kind of to kind of center this around. Cause he just seems like a good kid who's trying to be fair and trying to do something good for everybody, but he has to push back against so much of this. I was also really fascinated. There, there are things we learned, like um, there's a guy who is it? Robert McDougal. Mm-hmm. That guy, right? The, uh, the guy who is just like, you look at him, that guy would star in Friday Night Lights. That's you know, Tim that Riggins. Guy would, that's Tim, Tim Riggins. Well, no, no. He is street before, you know, before street becomes um, kind of an outcast because he is no longer a perfect human being. But Robert McDougal looks like, you know, the perfect representation of popular high school guy and high school jock. And I'm really interested in him as a character because... We're going to talk about some of this in spoilers, but things change. And he evolves as a person just within this documentary from what we see. So I really, it's a, it's a fascinating movie, but it is absolutely terrifying because, yeah, I've, I've never heard of this before, but I guess it makes sense. Like the these little, like, these people who love politics and who just are built to do it and seem like guided into politics in America, like they have to come out of somewhere. And apparently they come out of this. So, yeah, I'm terrified. Jeff Kanata, what did you think of Boy State? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about Boy State are best summed up in the form of a limerick. This documentary surpasses a year's worth of government classes. More timely than a tweet, on the edge of my seat, I sat perched like Renee's tiny glasses. <laughs> wow. Love nice. those glasses. Br- brought it back for the thing that I couldn't. I didn't foresee at the end there. Nicely done. The uh, those glasses were everything to me, man. Those glasses, those glasses were so. <laughs> he's, so such, he's such an like, old soul. Yes, thing. that's like, exactly the amazing. phrase I was going to use. Yeah. Now here, okay. So, so I have a lot to say about this movie. This might be my favorite movie of the year. Wow. Um, and I think it's I think it's kind of everything right now. 
The first thing I want to say is no one should ever record what 17-year-old boys think ever. <laughs> having yeah. been one, yeah. having been one. I agree. There, and this is one of the reasons that I feel like we have to tread lightly on being too harsh on these kids because they are 17 year old boys and they know fuck all about anything. Right. So sure, sure. they're the thing that the reason I come away on the hopeful side of the, of the aisle here is that there are old souls in this movie and they are very inspiring to me. There is a large contingent of the kids in this film that are just having a good time. They're just playing a game. Some of them don't even understand the game they're playing. And many of them are play acting at what they think is supposed to be the things that come out of their mouths. Robert McDougall is the perfect example of this, right? He explicitly says it. He goes, I don't believe half the shit I say. Mm -hmm. he, uh, this is what you're supposed to say, right? This is the, the most beautiful, the most beautiful line. So it's like exquisite. You couldn't write it more perfectly is when he's being interviewed. Robert is being interviewed and he goes, that's how politics works. I think he says, I think at the end, unironically, unironically, like just, it just, that's just what I, I think it is so beautiful. And that I think is everything. Now I may be coming at this slightly different, uh, in the sense that I experienced this kind of thing firsthand. Uh, and I, I hear Devendra, your takeaway from the movie is so not my takeaway. Like I truly believe that the best way to learn anything is to be inside the systems of the things. Why I love video games so much, right? You learn about a thing by doing, you learn about a thing by being inside the systems. And I gained a much better understanding of government through my experience with this youth and government thing in California. And I would, I would argue that many of these kids, they may not even register it yet, but they are understanding the machinations of government in a way that you could never learn from a book, that you could never learn from the outside looking in, being inside it, being, dealing with it, I think is a very, very profound and positive thing. Uh, but many of them, you know, the, all of us, even if, if you haven't been part of an experience like this one, all of us have been in high school and seen people run for student government. And you know that there are most of the people involved in that have no fucking idea what's going on. And they say, we're going to have pizza for every lunch and I'm going to have you know, right, soda right. fountains that, that, you know, every water fountain is going to have Coca-Cola in it. And it's just, it's, it's nonsense play acting, right? But then this movie also has these old souls these kids who it actually does mean something to them. It actually does resonate on a deeper level. They care. They think they, what comes out of their mouths matters to them. They want to be authentic. They want to, they want to actually participate in this and they're not the majority. They're not even, you know, they're, they're not even they're the, a minuscule proportion. And yet that event. is okay yeah. because it's always just going to be a few kids for whom this really fucking matters. And the fact that we get to see that 
and there are these kids and they do care and they are inspiring their peers and other kids see that and go, huh, wow, it's not just a game of lies. It really, if, if I, sure, sure. someone speaks authentically, it really can matter. It really can move the needle. And there, that is what we all sort of fundamentally crave. It, it's, um, to me, the movie is very hopeful, especially, you know, in a place like Texas, like the fact that this takes place in Texas and you see this, this youthful energy there, man, I, I was so moved by this movie. I, I was so inspired by these kids and I came away thinking, you know, there's a lot of hope. Yeah. It's, it's bleak. And there is, there are things that are, that happen in this movie that you're like, there's a lot of people learning the wrong lessons from the adults right now. And I didn't think, I don't think any, that's a surprise to any of us, right? We see what the adults are doing and many of us are upset about that precisely for that reason. It's because kids go, oh, that's how it's supposed to be done. Right, right. But there is enough of a sliver of people who really believe it and really care. And the message of this movie is like, that matters, that makes a difference and that is important. And I think for me, that was my takeaway. And that's one of the reasons why I think this movie is so beautiful. Roxana, um, are you persuaded at all? Or does that hearing Jeff talk about that make you kind of change your opinion at all about the film? Just curious. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, it's a, very, it it's a very stirring, it's a very stirring, right. you know, no, uh, articulation, Jeff. Yeah, it was but, very evocatively said. And I, I can understand all of the positive feelings you get from somebody like Stephen or somebody like Renee. Um, but for me, it was very difficult to watch two young men of color basically have to prove their selfhood mm-hmm. over and over again to this group of predominantly white young men who seem like they already had their minds made up. So I agree that there's something very hopeful about that because I think naturally we sympathize with people who face down the odds and are willing to go where their opinion might be overwhelmed by others. And so I think there's something about that that is very naturally empathetic for us. Um, But it is also one of those things to me where it's like for every one kid like Steven or Renee, there are those 1100 other kids who, yeah, they are just parroting what they hear from their parents or at church or at school or on Fox News or by Ben Shapiro or all these other people who are mentioned in the documentary. And there are a solid percentage of those kids who don't change their minds over the course of the documentary. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was more, it was very much a portrait of the tribalism that we find ourselves in and how entrenched people can become at that at a very young age. And I agree overall that I don't want to diminish teenage experiences. I mean, 9-11 happened when I was in high school. I marched against the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. I was racially profiled after 9-11. I know what it's like to be a teenager, right, who like has political opinions and is living through something and is predominantly shaped by that. But it also is one of those things, too, and I think Devendra said this, where it's like, where, what part of your lived experience are these opinions coming from? And when there isn't a lot of lived experience to trace back, but you're still clinging to that ideology, that is very deeply unsettling for me. So yeah, I definitely took the opposite tack of like, (laughs) Steven's awesome, Renee's awesome. I even have a little bit of a hopeful vibe for 
Rob, who gave me, Rob. Like, you yeah. know, Josh, Josh Hartnett from Virgin Suicides Energy. <laughs> but um, listen, his but, chin is so perfect. It is too perfect. OK, <laughs> I think that I think that saying the eleven hundred kids versus two is is a bit um, I think it's a that's a that's a bit inaccurate. Right. That the, the, the characters that we have in this movie would not have proceeded as far as they did progressed as far as they did. Uh, in the film, if they were the only two that thought that way, right? And I and I totally get where you're coming from, Roxanne. I there is a deeply unsettling element to this movie, and I was not comfortable the entire time I was watching it. It is it is really hard to watch this frat boy mentality. But again, any group of seventeen year old kids, especially predominantly white ones especially the kids that self-select into this kind of a program, which is probably pretty well-off kids, uh, is going to sort of <laughs> result in some frat boyism. And, yeah. and I think even, even, even the best kids can, can fall into that uh, group think at that age and wanting to fit in and wanting to chant and wanting to, you know, do those all of that sort of group bonding stuff. I think it's a mistake that this program is not co-ed because I think you would have wildly different platforms for two, the, both of these parties if they had to account for women, right? Um, but I do think that there is, there is, there is this, this groundswell of support that, that you see these authentic kids receive in the movie that I don't think you can just sweep under the rug and say it's all so bleak. I, 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 I totally admit that there is a side to this movie that is really disturbing on the, in the sense that, yes, they're just parroting things that they don't even believe, especially Robert saying things like, you know, th assuming that the audience feels a way, so I have mm -hmm. to say the thing I think they think. And how many of the kids sitting in the audience think they have to think that, right? It's this self-fulfilling prophecy, but... I think I do think there's a, a lot in the movie that pushes back against that. Um, I let me just say, Jeff, too, like I like the idea that you're saying that the best way to learn some of these things is to experience it. And if I was in high school and something maybe not exactly boy state, because I think the the gender separation there is ridiculous, but something like what you went through, I would have jumped to it. I would have I would have totally done it. What terrifies me about this movie is the way it is sort of a machine for kind of one type of thinking. That's all. Like, yeah, we see we see these young like heroes of color, which is apparently the uh the trend now, right? Like it feels like a lot of America's waiting for people of color to save them and I I feel like that's kind of harsh too. Like it's a lot to put on people and these two kids are just like Renee's first thing, the first thing he gets up to do, the like a lot of folks start chanting for him to resign because they disagree with the way he made a, a decision, even though he made apparently the right decision under the rules. It's, it's that sort of thing. And eventually he sort of, he is vindicated, but it's a fight, you know, and it's not a fight. We saw a lot of like other people aren't fighting to justify themselves. They're all just kind of going with the tide. So yeah, that's, that's just what's a little terrifying to me. That's all. There's something, there's something like visceral, uh, just about this situation on a, on a visual level. Right. I mean, I'll give I'll give an example. I'll give an example. Um, I went to go see Anthony Jeselnik once, uh, in in a Seattle theater. Right. Do you guys know who Anthony Jeselnik is? No. Yes. He's like a, a comic, kind of like a shock comic. Right. Like, 
every one of his he he does like all one liners like it's all one liners um or not one liners uh, uh it's like all Jokes. kind of like set up payoff like really like it, you know some comics are very free flowing and it's like they're telling you a story he's like you know his his whole philosophy is every joke is like a, a home run you know that's what he tries to do and they all are framing him his persona as like aggressively racist misogynist mm-hmm, mm-hmm. misanthropic um you know a, a serial killer esque right like that's that's his like on on stage persona and i went with my friend who is uh saudi arabian and we we went to go see anthony jeselnik and uh you know i enjoy anthony jeselnik because i think there's there's some skill in what he does but 99% of that theater was white and it was me and my Saudi Arabian friend listening to this guy on stage telling these very, very racist jokes and everyone like surrounded by white people laughing at us. Uh, not us, but, you know, like at, you know, the the, the quote unquote jokes. And um, just like, hmm, this is like uh, it's pretty uncomfortable. I have to say, like, it's kind of this is kind of uh, not, not super comfortable. And it is very beep meme of <laughs> what the fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so I just think there's something like there's well, something, I, I don't think that that's a. I mean, I would anybody that's not seen this movie, there's there's no point at which the movie makes fun of anybody. No, I know. But the point I'm making is just like the visual of I know there's like I know there are like there are like some there is some diversity in the crowd, but it's like it's very white. You know, a, mm-hmm. a huge portion of the crowd is white. And the visual of like all these white people like trying to bring down these people of color um, through means that I would say are um at times shady? underhanded and shady yeah uh it just like it just like kind of touches a chord on a visceral level and i don't think that's like unreasonable to react to because we have a sitting president uh who in the last election cycle you know spent a lot of time questioning the legitimacy of the first black president of the united states so it, it's just like there there is unfortunate echoes there whether or not the movie intends that or not whether or not the kids intend that or not if there's just something that hits on a visceral level when you see that in a movie like this um i'd like to get the spoilers because we're already we're running a little bit long already in this review but i'll just say uh i thought this movie was brilliant it was purchased for 12 million dollars at sundance this year which is a huge sum for a documentary um and i'm glad apple uh bought it and you know gave it a platform i think people are actually talking about this one reviewing it um i think it's extraordinary i think that we haven't really talked about the filmmaking of this movie but it's excellent it's there there is an immersiveness to the filmmaking where these cameras get way up into these people's business like it's like feels like they're like feet away like three four feet away from these boys when they're doing this stuff it it feels like it's shot like an episode of succession too right yeah. like it is yeah. right up in there but also it finds these moments of like beauty to you like sometimes the camera will just pan to from the state building to the line of kids walking yes. very casually it's very graceful yeah it's it's it, and but the, in succession they obviously have a hundred percent control of the situation here right. they're capturing it as it takes place so it's i i don't i can't recall seeing a documentary as visually dynamic and as electrifying as this one was just on a filmmaking perspective there's like a montage that happens early on in the movie when uh they're kind of trying to get signatures to be elected and it's just like whoa this thing is really energizing and really mm-hmm, well put mm-hmm. together so really well edited a, too yeah, like it's uh, yeah propulsive. agreed on a filmmaking level it's so so good and uh obviously has a lot to say about the state of our democracy um I uh, I side more with um, I don't know I, I think I side with both of you I'm like right down the middle of of, uh, 
of both the Roxana and Devendra opinion and also the Jeff opinion. There, there well, is a lot of hope there. I, um, I, I just want to say that I don't, it, it's not that I don't see all the things that you guys are pointing out. I guess it's just my disposition is that watching the, this small group of kids stand up in the face of that and actually get attention and get move people and persuade people to me is, is inspiring. And I think that we're, we're, we're both seeing the same movie. I'm not, not seeing the things you're seeing. I just come away from it going, it's, it's extraordinary to see these kids deal with all of these things that you guys all rightfully pointed out as being fucked up mm -hmm. things that they have to deal with and yet doing it with grace and poise and aplomb and actually moving the needle a bit. Maybe it's, a, it's not as much as the needle should move or we'd all like the needle to move. But the fact that it moved at all is just in the, you know, in deep Texas, it's like, sure, sure. I thought I just found it very powerful. Well, let me just say, Jeff, uh, I felt that way up until we got to the things we're going to talk about in spoilers. <laughs> all right. Are we ready to get to spoilers, Jeff? We ready to get to spoilers? We are. All right. Let's get to spoilers for Boy State starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. I'm trying to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course... They're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. All right. So, uh, Roxana, I, I remember you writing in your review of this how discouraged you were about the fact that uh, let's just say the the ways in which their their opponents try to overcome Renee and Steven are uh -huh. not exactly uh, above board, right? Um, no, they're not exactly super honorable, in your opinion. No, I mean they're super they're super racially tinged. I thought I very much felt like everything happening with Renee. So basically, what happens with Renee is they start calling for his impeachment. There is a loud minority of his party who want to impeach him as the state chairman. So they start an impeach Renee Instagram, which basically devolves into increasingly racist memes, um, which I found incredibly discouraging. Mm -hmm. and just really like depressing. you go straight to racism at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it was very knee jerk. Like, oh, of course you guys did that. And of course there's eventually one that compares them with a monkey. Like, of course, like, of course that's where you went. Um, can, I, can I just jump in real quick though? And I a hundred percent agree with all of that. I do think again, my silver lining, which I guess I'm just Pollyanna in this conversation, which I'm fine. <laughs> I'm Pollyanna in most conversations, but um, the silver lining for me is that the reason that he's supposedly, you know, wanting, they want to impeach Renee is because they want to do some goofball bullshit <laughs> and he actually cares. Sure. Right. right. And, and I yeah. and I respect and understand that. But also in this moment where we've lived through four years of people doing increasingly goofball bullshit and getting away with it, it is very dispiriting <laughs> to watch the reaction, like how quickly people mobilize to like undermine the person who is standing up to that goofball bullshit. So like, I agree with you. Like there it is very much like, of course you're targeting Renee because he's competent and intelligent, but I can very much understand as we see him ultimately admitting at the end of the documentary that he's worn down by it, that by mm -hmm. only a week of that, it has weighed on him immeasurably. 
you know? So I do think it's one of those things where it's like, I agree, like they are targeting Stephen because he is politically active. He did do March for Our Lives. He's actually involved in these causes in which he is passionate about, and they use that against him. So again, for me, it's more just like, I get it. Like I can understand thinking like kids like Renee and Steven are going to go out there and they might be the next AOC and they might be changing hearts and minds. We see some of that, but they still lose at the end of the day. You know, like I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, yes, the kids learned about government or whatever. What else they learned, I would think, is that those tactics work. Mm-hmm. And that well, is- we don't know how much they lost by. Right. We don't we no, no one. They never give a a Jeff, um, Jeff, let, let me just say, having, I really no, 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 don't <laughs> say no, let me finish my comment. Let me finish yeah. my comment. Go and ahead. You can just Go ahead. Yeah. We don't we never know how much they lost by. Right. Which is, I think, I think would be fascinating information to have. Right. And. Beto lost, Stacey Abrams lost, a number of people lost, right, in the in in the real world. And there are ways to look at that, like, fuck, we're fucked, it's all fucked. And there are ways to look at that where like, well, we made some fucking amazing progress in those places. And you you can't build Rome in a day. And it's amazing, and things are are moving forward. And I think that again. It's just my disposition, but I, I do think that it's not, again, I'm not saying what you're saying is not true. It is true. I just think that there is a lot in this movie to come away feeling like, man, there's a lot, there's a lot of doing, be encouraged by, I think. I, so Jeff, okay, you're done. Okay. Let me, let me just say this. Like once these kids lost, it was hard not to feel like 2016, all over again. It was hard not to feel like, man, we ran a good race and we did all the right things. And hey, technically Hillary uh, won the most popular votes. It matters fuck all at the end mm-hmm. of the day when the system can be broken by bad politics. And like that, that is, there is hopefulness here for sure. But the ultimate conclusion of this movie is like these kids won because they did what they see the adults doing. And that to me is the dispiriting part. Like it is, it is Lisa Simpson at the end of that Simpsons episode crying, you know, at the Abraham Lincoln statue, because there, there's just so much that it's tough to believe in anything. I, I love that these two kids really made a mark and were able to, you know, really rally a good portion of this group. And certainly for Stephen to become elected as governor, he had to be convincing. And I think people were, you know, inspired by him, but yeah, yeah, the the real end of this movie is that it doesn't it doesn't matter because what what you're pushing against is so powerful one voice doesn't really make a difference. So I I get you, Jeff, but it is like my heart well, breaks for this movie. I, that's all. I, I I think that's a perfectly valid interpretation. I I think that my takeaway from this movie is holy shit, we finally got to see something in American culture in 2020 that says it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Mm. And too too infrequently is that message even conveyed beyond kindergarten. You know, that's the kind of thing I teach my kids and everywhere else in the world, it's just win, baby. And this movie, I felt my takeaway from this movie was it really is about how you play the game. Like nobody thinks that that tactic is noble by the end of this movie, or just because they win some stupid game. Yes, that is indicative of the greater world at large as well. That is what works in real life, yeah. uh, Yeah, I just think, uh, for me, it was like, yes, it's very noble 
how Steven and Renee played. But not to hammer this home. They still lost. Like, I understand. Did you expect, <laughs> did you expect Steven to beat Robert? Because I didn't. I was jumping out of my chair when they, he beat Robert. I couldn't believe it. I thought for sure, sure, sure. he wasn't going to beat Robert. The fact that he gets as far as he does out of 1,100 kids, it's him and one other dude. Like, that is not nothing. That's not nothing. It's not nothing, but I think I personally am tired of feeling comforted by those sorts of appeasements. Right, so right, right. For it's me, not an appeasement. So oh, it to- I, I, I mean, the we're on. Filmmakers weren't. Maybe. Let's do this to make the audience feel good. It, it really happened. I, I, I think sure. you know. Go ahead, go ahead, Roxana. Go ahead. Right, I but I think take. I think taking away from it that, like, yay, he ran a good race and it was noble and all that stuff. Like, I completely agree with all that. He did run a good race. It mm-hmm. was noble. It was shocking that he beat Rob. Like, I don't disagree with any of that. But for me, what I am coming away with is the fact that, like, the tactics of Ben Feinstein, the tactics of smearing these kids, the tactics of turning their own sincere actions against them that resonated with enough people that they lost. So I I understand what you're saying and the fact that like Steven is a very compelling figure and he probably changed some hearts and minds that day, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't enough. So like I just I I'm just very much on the other side of this. So let me let me cut in let me cut in and get get super personal here. All right. Um and uh uh, first oh, of good. all, that'll de-escalate things. Yeah, that'll de-escalate the situation. <laughs> so, number one, uh, Jeff, I, I recall like the episodes we recorded. We recorded on the Slash Filmcast in the wake of Trump winning the election, and I remember the thing you said. I still remember it. It was something along the lines of like, "What this election has shown is the bullies win." Right? I think you said something along those lines, and yeah. it, it stuck with me. Four years later, I still remember you saying that because. Um, you know, Jeff, uh, but, you know, uh, whether or not you can get get it from any of our recent Slice from Guest episodes, Jeff, in general, is uh, very much a believer in the it's how you play the game situation. He's very much a believer in, you know, when we go low, they go high or when, when they go low, we go high. Right. And that that yes. should make a difference. Right. And even um, if it doesn't make a difference, it's important. It's still worth doing regardless, right? That's kind of your belief. And you think yeah. that this movie in some way illustrates that. I'll say that... He didn't sacrifice who he was. Sorry to interrupt you. So I, I, that, I think Stephen can help hold his head high. And he does. And he is. And he's, it's going to make him a better person. And it's going to fucking... It's, anyway, go ahead, Dave. Well, I think that, um, you know, uh, we, we haven't spoken about like our own personal politics or anything like that um, too much uh, during the course of this review. But I will say for me, I, I am extremely tempted to be very, very cynical. Like I'm already a very pessimistic person by nature as anyone listening to this podcast for even a minimum amount of time will know. Um, but uh, so it's very easy for me to be pessimistic and say like, there's, there's no hope in anything. Why even try the bullies win? You know, it's all the system is rigged, blah, blah, blah. Like there's no point. And I think what, um, what does give me hope is that the people who have put way more on the line than me, you know, people like John Lewis, who recently passed um, up until the end remained optimistic. And uh, we had Barack Obama, former president of the United States, give a, speech at the DNC this week, and I'm not as good of an orator as Obama, but I'm going to read this paragraph from the speech. He said, 
what we do echoes through the generations. I think he was trying to quote Gladiator, by the way. Uh, he should have just gone full gladiator. <laughs> shadows just gone and full dust. Gladiator should have just said, said shadows and dust. Yeah. What Wait we a do minute. Goes in eternity. That's what Maximus Decimus Meridius said. Anyway, okay. Did you say you weren't as good an orator as Obama? Because it seems like you're improving his speech. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Barack Obama says, quote, whatever our backgrounds, we're all the children of Americans who fought the good fight. Great grandparents working in fire traps and sweatshops without rights or representation. Farmers losing their dreams to dust. Irish and Italians and Asians and Latinos told to go back where they came from. Jews and Catholics, Muslims and Sikhs made to feel suspect for the way they worshipped. Black Americans chained and whipped and hanged, spit on for trying to sit at lunch counters, beaten for trying to vote. If anyone had a right to believe that this democracy did not work and could not work, it was those Americans, our ancestors. They were on the receiving end of a democracy that had fallen short all their lives. They knew how far the daily reality of America strayed from the myth. And yet, instead of giving up, they joined together and said, somehow, some way, we're going to make this work, end quote. And uh, that really sticks with me, you know, because it's like sure. we've, we are going through some shit right now in this country. Um, but people who have been come before us have gone through shit that is arguably way worse than what we're going through right now. Yeah. And they did not give up. And I don't know that that necessarily motivates me, but at least it, it shames me. When I feel bad, you know what I mean? Um, so uh, anyway, I guess I fall. That's why I'm saying I, I'm falling in between you two, you know, in terms of yeah. your two perspectives in the sense that like uh, I agree with Roxanne and Devinger. Like we saw a lot of really upsetting things in this documentary. You know, we saw like I agree with that, too. Th these people, right, like being uh, verbally browbeaten and uh, underhanded tactics triumphing and winning the day and basically the worst notions of uh, human nature being proven before our eyes in a Lord of the Flies-esque political situation. Mm -hmm. And at the which, same time... Which was, by the way, let, let me just make this very clear, a situation that was constructed by the American Legion, which is an organization doing this throughout the country. So this is happening, I don't know how many places, but a lot of places. So I think it's pretty, pretty extraordinary they just put kids in a room and let them do what they do. Sure, I, I, sure, I think it's sure. kind of extraordinary. But I, I'm when I'm saying, Jeff, that this thing terrifies me, I'm extrapolating to the like the many, many other events states of where it's states. happening. Yeah, yeah. Where sure. it's a handful of people maybe pushing against what's happening. I don't know if it's if they're all and very I conservative did, leaning, but I, yeah. I was going to say, I think one of the flaws of the documentary is that you don't get any context yes. for what the American yes. Legion is looking for in these students. Mm -hmm. You get some interviews. You get the kids saying that Jesus is his role model and naturally he's accepted into the program, <laughs> but you don't get any other idea as to like, what are their guiding questions? What kind right. of student are they actually looking for? It's well, very... You also get some hint of it, Roxana, from the speeches that the American Legion people yeah. give a little right. bit. You kind of get a right. sense of their ethos a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I agree with Devendra where it's like you scale up that ideology and it just becomes sort of overwhelmingly disconcerting to consider. Yeah, let me just say one, one, one more thing. And, and I, I know I've, I've been mean to beat a dead horse here, but um, I think as we're talking, my idea my opinion is 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 formulating even more uh, in my head even though my words aren't coming out very well but here here we go um <laughs> there is a version of this movie where the 11 kids who we see at the beginning who are going to run for governor go up and give their speech and the kid who goes yeah we're not gonna let masculinity forever we fuck yeah we gotta do the, the kid who like shouts his ass off 
is against the other kid who shouts his ass off, right? That's mm -hmm. a very legitimate possibility for how this could have gone for these filmmakers, yeah. right? The, the, there were 11 kids who got up behind that microphone and tried to present their version of what they thought would be the most popular thing amongst all the voters in that room, right? And we saw a number of them do the student body president pitch where it's like, I just want to jump up and down and tell you we're going to party and we're going to destroy the other team. And it's all about win, 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 victory, victory, victory. And if you want to win, you got to get behind me because I'm masculine and awesome. And we, we saw those pitches happen. And it, the movie could have been just descent into madness, this descent into who can be worse, who can be more awful and the politics of the moment could have been amplified a hundred times because it could have been this viral war and both sides are and it, that would have been a very interesting documentary it would have been a disturbing descent into how bad these kids can be when given the opportunity to indulge in politics but that's not what happened that's not what actually happened and that is what gives me so much hope. That's why I think it's a hopeful movie because one kid got up there and went, hey, I actually believe in some stuff. Not only do I believe in some stuff, I believe in some stuff that I know you don't believe in. And guess what? I'm gonna convince you that I'm still worth your vote because you don't actually believe in the shit that I believe in, but guess what? Because I'm such a good person and because I'm such an honest person and because I'm so true to what I believe in, you're going to be inspired by that. He actually, that was his fucking strategy and it worked up to a point. Yes, it didn't work in the final tally, but holy <laughs> shit, that's extraordinary. That's extraordinary for 17 year old boys in Texas to fucking vote for that guy to be one of two people at the end. Like that, that yes, I, I understand small victories aren't victories, right? Or, or, but baby steps aren't steps or whatever analogy we want to use. But it certainly wasn't what I expected. And it, it was, I think it's beautiful, man. I think it's fucking beautiful. And I've been, I've been uh, recommending this movie to everyone because I, I think it shows the roadmap to winning over those people. It's not, adopt what they think it's not hey we gotta destroy them it's be fucking real and say hey i believe in this and i think you i think i can earn your vote even if we don't agree on every single thing because the thing that's happening in this fucking country right now is that everybody thinks they have to destroy the other team and no one wants to exist on the same planet as the people on the other team. It's an existential crisis on both sides and people want to destroy each other. And that's fucking untenable. It's insanity. And here are these kids, these fucking 17 year old kids that know nothing other than competition, know nothing other than unbridled masculinity. And one kid stands up there and goes, fuck that. I'm going to actually be real and be honest and be soft spoken and be genuine. And a whole shit ton of them go, well, Hey, I could buy into that. That's amazing. And well, more uh, of them agreed with the gun rights and the abortion yelling and the build a wall rhetoric. More of them agreed with that. So to, but it isn't a zero sum game, you know, 
but it is. <laughs> I mean, we've seen the last four years that it there, there's is. one it's winner. Nice. Yeah, but yeah. look, I, I, I have much more to say about this movie, but we we are basically out of time at this point. So, um, Roxana, well, I feel bad, Dave. I don't mean to. Yeah, it's okay. Them. We're we're out of time, Roxana. I'll give you the last word on the movie, though. Um, what what are your thoughts? Uh, how do you want to close us out on your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I think it's impeccably made. I think it's worth watching to sort of understand how these ideas and viewpoints trickle down. And I think it's very important in terms of like, we're kind of been walking the line in terms of like, they're boys, they're not adults, they are shaped by the circumstances around them, etc. But boys become men. And so I think it's important to sort of get a grasp of what are these kids filtering through and who do they grow up to be and i think it's an important watch your reaction might vary as we learned from this mm-hmm. podcast i, I think but, it's evidence of great art you know the fact that yeah, um, the the reaction is so polarized even on the show so i do think it's worth checking out if you've made it this far you haven't watched it yet go check out boy state it is on apple tv plus uh and i think that's going to wrap us up for this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our weekly uh, plugs music comes from Thomas Medina and Noah Ross. Uh, and stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. This episode, by the way, was edited by Baby Zhang. Hey, by the way, Roxana, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Sure. Um, you can find my work at pajiba.com and the AV Club and Roger Ebert. I actually have stuff publishing there each day this week. All right. Uh, make sure you check out Roxana's work. It's really, really awesome. And uh, I'll link also to your review of Boy State in the show notes. Cool. Um, Thank you. Until next week, what we're going to be reviewing on the podcast next week, Bill and Ted face the music. Another political opus. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I, you know, if you had told me a year ago that a year from today, we'd be reviewing the new Bill and Ted movie that is going straight to VOD because we're all staying home because of pandemic. There would be many things I would struggle to comprehend about that. (laughs) I'd have so many questions, but uh, looking forward to diving into that one with you guys. All right. That's it for this week's episode of the Slash Homecast. We'll see you next week.